Hey, everybody. You didn't tell me this was going to be recorded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is Reads and Weeds. This is Shelly, and uh, this is the podcast where we smoke weed and talk about books. And today, we're talking about The Great Gatsby with Paul, who's been on several times, Moon Abbott, who was last on for Picture of Dorian Gray. Yes. Right. And brand new guest, <laughs> Eleanor Hanley. Um, and I'm going to jump in by not, I don't have a lot of weed news to talk about this. I've been, I can talk about decriminalized nature. Actually, I spent Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. in East Lansing trying to get their city council to vote yes on the referendum to decriminalize uh, entheogenic plants. And they're the first city that we've ever spoke to that voted no and but what was amazing was there was all these things on the docket that night um but there was maybe one person for each one of those but for decriminalized nature it was probably 10 of us there live that got up and spoke and maybe five more on zoom that chimed into the meeting and it was so professional and they were so well prepared and we covered every angle so much so that at the end, the city council members, several of them thanked us. They took turns thanking. We'd like to thank the advocacy group in the back that has been here all night. You were so prepared. You were so well-spoken. And basically they said, we believe in what you're doing, but we feel like it's too much of a gray area for cops to decide on the spot whether or not they're gonna follow this law or that law, right? Um, and also the city attorney, who was against it and the chief of police who was against it were sitting right in the front staring that city council member down. So I feel like I kind of understand where they're coming from, but um, it was impressive. Way to go decriminalize nature. If you live in Michigan and you haven't signed that ballot initiative yet to get it on the statewide ballot, please do that. If you're hearing this and you love the idea of entheogenic plants being decriminalized, please look up decriminalize nature my friend Julie is um, working really hard. An entire team, tons of people are. So also, what are we smoking, Paul? Uh, skunk berry. Skunk berry. A classic, uh, what about 70% sativa. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And Moon, how about you? I am smoking something called Nana's Good Kush. Ooh. I'm sorry, what? Nana's, Nana's Good, good Kush. Kush. Oh, Nana. Yeah, that sounds like it's probably good. I bet so Nana. I love some 78-year-old Italian woman just Nana, going the finest kush. Nana knows, knows how to grow. You know she does. Eleanor, hey. <coughs> Eleanor, why don't you, I'm so grateful, by the way, that you wanted to do this. I was so excited. This is, yes. it seems like not much, but like a dream come true that someone three degrees of separation away from me wanted to come be on the show. Of course. <laughs> got themselves to me. It's the best. Yeah. So, uh, tell us what you're smoking and then go on as long of a rant as you would like about why we must talk about the great Gatsby. Well, I, I don't remember the strain name that I'm smoking. I only know that it's some kind of indica and that it is um, a Gen Z mid. So about 14%. Oh, that's what Gen I know. Z mid? I've never heard that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like probably, a bud I, I'm pretty high. Bud. So it's, it's good weed, but for me, it, 
it's weak compared to some of the crazy dispensary stuff. I'm in the Upper Peninsula too, so this is like weed capital, Michigan. I was in Ironwood for yeah. Moon's uh, brother Max's hockey tournament. Uh, mm -hmm. over, uh, little it was over the winter because I remember it was uh, 14 below fucking zero. Yeah. So yeah, it's cold. Uh, but they have one dispensary in Ironwood, and it's right on the border of Wisconsin, which is only like two hours or a little less from Duluth, Minnesota, one of the larger cities sure. up that high. Mm -hmm. And you you couldn't get in the place. It was nothing but yeah. Minnesota and Wisconsin license plates. And I walked in after coming driving by like three times and thinking, well, I'll come back later when it settles down. It never settled down. Oh gosh. Uh, I walked yeah. in. The person like near the desk, near the end of the line was like, yeah, I, I've been here since 11. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. Where I'm, I moved here from Chicago about 18, 10, 18 months ago, a, a little while ago. And um, when I first got here, the dispensary, like the prices up here are just kind of crazy because I'm in Marquette and the dispensary weed when I first got here was um, a little bit like more expensive than maybe I would get in less scrupulous means in Chicago. Sure. And at this point, it's it's insane. I'll see deals for like hundred dollar ounces just on the side of the highway. Really? We have like, yeah, we have like eight dispensaries. It's 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 so insane. The milligrams of edibles for seven dollars all day. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Nice. Oh yeah. And it's it's hard for me to even go into a dispensary because we have so many friends that grow and so many friends that make medibles and I trim and farm sometimes. Yeah. Usually just get some, you know, try some. So, but it's thriving. I'm glad it's thriving. We're trying to, you know, I wish it was completely decriminalized. Like, I feel like we got that backwards, but if you'd have told me six years ago, it would be this open, mm -hmm. you know, it's really, it's pretty impressive. It's not perfect, but I mean, we have, a, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, we have a majority number of states now with at least medical. I think Georgia uh, just voted on something. So like, holy shit. Right? George is like, yep. I just feel like uh, some farmers are like, wait a minute, we're farmers. We should be doing this. Yeah, right? we should probably vote yes on this Come week. On. Yeah. yeah. So, Eleanor, tell us why we must pay attention to the great Gatsby. I believe the great Gatsby is the great American novel. It is my favorite book. I have read it like 12 times now, counting oh, yeah. the audio book. Um, I'll listen to the audiobook while I'm at work. It's about four hours long. Mm -hmm. So it's it's fun. I can get through it twice at work. So <laughs> I've read it a lot. Um, and it is it is my favorite book. My father um, is a retired high school English teacher from Fraser, Michigan. And this was his favorite book. And when I was in high school and read it for class, I read his copy that he had been teaching out of for about 20 years. Oh, wow. So the notes in it basically just gave me a cheat code to the entire English class I was in. And I really fell in love with the book then. Um, and then I put it down for a while, but very much made how much I love the book part of my personality in late high school. And I still, I, I have a sweater that I wear all the time with the eyes of TJ Eckelberg. <gasps> oh my gosh. Oh. I'm into the book. I'm about God it. It's always watching. Like yes. Moon can tell you, like I, Moon is just like somebody that, I met in Chicago, like in a college kid scene. And one can tell you that I just, I talk about this book. Just <laughs> very, yeah. Um, and I think this book has a lot to say. It's just like fascinating snapshot. I also think that when I am not a Hemingway hater, 
but Hemingway and Fitzgerald's friendship is super interesting to me. And where Hemingway went left in terms of removing specifically like adverbs, cutting as much fat from a sentence as possible and doing this really polished prose, which certainly like appealed to a lot of people and obviously inspired a lot of writers, but Fitzgerald very much went the other direction and his prose is just so like, at some point, one thing that my copy didn't have was the, I don't know if your copies had this, this poem at the beginning, um, which it's like a short four line poem um, that Fitzgerald credits to like some poet when in fact that poet is fiction and he just wanted to put his pretty bad poem in here. Right, but really right. he's, he, he was like a, he was like a lyrical writer, but he was frustrated with poetry. And so he just turned his prose into this sort of extended poetic thing. Right. Um, but if you want to hear the poem, because who knows? Yes, yes. Yeah, I think I have it and I didn't realize. Then wear the gold hat if that will move her. If you can bounce high, bounce for her too, till she cry, lover, gold hatted, high bouncing lover, I must have you. And I think that that is not a very good poem. I think it's, uh, like entirely, it's entirely too on the nose considering the book. I mean, it's just, oh, the, yeah. it's the, too on it's the, just the plot of the book in four, in four I words. Know. But funny. also it's just a hilarious scene. I picture it. This is like a scene of yeah. an older man trying to tell a younger man how to win a woman over but he has no idea what the fuck you, he's talking about. You gotta bounce. You gotta bounce high. You gotta be shiny. You gotta be shiny and bouncy. Well, a, a fun fact, a fun fact I have about like this specifically is that Fitzgerald was constantly switching between titles and vocally did not want to name the book The Great Gatsby, although that was sort of the default title that he figured he'd eventually settle on. Um, and him and his editor kept going back and forth. And he took two titles from this poem. Um, and thank God he didn't choose them. I don't know. I'm, I, it's, I think it's a really interesting part, like portion of the book, but it's, it's definitely on the nose and all the right and wrong ways. Right. But like, I just love. Would Leonardo DiCaprio have starred in a movie called? Well, I have thoughts Gold on that. Hat. We can talk about that later. <laughs> or bounce high. <laughs> it wouldn't. It what were the know. alternative titles? Yeah. What were they? Oh my gosh! I'm sorry. I would have to look them up. Oh my god! I don't remember them. <laughs> That's something terrible. something about the gold hat though there's sure. a gold hat title wouldn't, wouldn't have, the, it's the so dumb because were right. the marketers he, were right it, like in a lot of ways i think he could have named this book like the green light if he wanted to like there were definitely things he could have taken from thematically yeah. this like weird poem that he tries to credit to somebody greater than himself who doesn't in fact exist mm-hmm. is just <laughs> a really uh he was just poem. waiting for people to start the room of like who's that amazing poet i must yeah be yeah yeah. And, but then he realized like everybody was going like that poem at the beginning was gross yeah that's what i meant for it to be <laughs> um so i wanted to ask and i'm not going to get right into this we'll talk mm-hmm. about it later okay right? but are you familiar with the, the theory that zelda wrote most of it i i have been trying to find information like actual historical information yeah. to say either or. Yeah. There are things that we do know for a fact about F. Scott Fitzgerald, which is that he kept a notebook, a little journal around 
and he would write down the smart things, his oftentimes like sort of pretentious and on the nose friends like Ernest Hemingway and all those writers of the time. Yes, yes. And also Zelda would say, and he would just use those quotes word for word in books, yes. which is how he's able to create such like lifelike portraits of characters and often why he's accused of just reporting his life instead of like actually creating fiction. Right. But I think, um, oh man. It's okay. Smoking it's okay. weed and doing a podcast okay. is insane. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess I get oh, it. Oh, specifically. Oh, I got it. I got it. I, I came back to it. But there's one of the questions that um, you sent earlier today Okay. Um, was talking about the quote from Zelda. Or I'm sorry. Do you, do you the think quote, it should be a, the quote like from a Daisy. child and a girl should be a, a fool? A girl should be a fool, a beautiful yes. fool. That's a yes. that's a quote from Zelda. That's Zelda. That's what that's what Zelda said at the yes. birth of her own of her own daughter. And I just think it's yeah, it's very that's like the most biographical part of Gatsby, which is interesting to me because Gatsby is like of all of F. Scott Fitzgerald's books, it follows F. Scott Fitzgerald's life significantly less than um like Nick Carraway is not F. Scott Fitzgerald in the way that some of his other character, main characters are him. Um, it's much less of a self-insert book. Like Gatsby isn't him. This isn't anything he actually saw. It's more of a like crystallization of the broader societal upheaval he found himself in the middle of. Oh yeah. Um, and so I don't know. It's a There's great a lot of reasons snapshot. And what yeah. I want Paul and Moon to chime in on is this. Um, well, first of all, have had y'all read it before, talked about it before? High school. High school. Okay. Was the yeah. last time. I, and I've seen the film, both films now. Well, part of the second film, but I've seen the Redford film back yeah. in the day. Yeah. yeah. And did you have any like rest, like thoughts from it that have, were changed on the second round? It was a pretty fresh take for me because okay. that's that's a long time ago. Yeah. I think it was may, may even have been like my freshman year or sophomore right. year. Sixty-eight years ago. That's <laughs> yeah. I yeah. blocked a lot of that whole decade out. Sure. Candidly. Sure. So sure. It really was a nice fresh take. Uh, I, yeah. The audiobook was read by Sean Aston. I had the Jake Gyllenhaal one. I had Jake Gyllenhaal too. Yeah. The Jake as well. well. I'll read the I was, book to reread it. I read it uh, twice before, but it's been a long time. And then I, I re-listened to it on audio, Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay. Yeah. I like yeah. just finished reading a, a physical copy just earlier today. Like, yeah. The physical copy is fun because you can read it in like four hours. It yeah. So quick. Then you feel super smart. Yes. Yeah. What are your first impressions, Moon? Um, I, first of all, I think I read it forever ago. I don't remember how old I was, but I, some of it was familiar to me. And I, I've seen, I've only seen the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Um, and I remembered like parts of it, but like, I didn't remember all of it. So it was really fun to get some surprises and like, it was very interesting. I was very, very into it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna just, uh, for, any humans out there listening, first of all, thank you so much. <laughs> but also, 
The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald or Zelda Fitzgerald, <laughs> depending on who you believe. I think it was mostly F. Scott, <laughs> for the record. It's a, it's a story told by the character Nick Carraway, who has a neighbor who is Jay Gatsby, who's shrouded in mystery. People don't know where he got his money. There's an undercurrent love affair and class struggle going on through the whole thing. And it's really vividly written. I was telling Paul when we were watching the movie, it's such a gift to anyone in film. It tells you exactly what to do, where to put the furniture, how the voices are supposed to sound. Like it's written where you can picture every single scene. So that's what it's about. There are some major twists that um, I love the way the twists are revealed right up to the end. So yeah. That's pretty much if you've never read Great Gatsby before, okay, that's what we're talking about. That's the setting. It's probably 19, what, 1919? 22. 1922. So the world is in a kind of a bootlegger. Um, some people are tycoons. Other people are peasants. This is taking place in Post the on Great Long War. Island. On Long Island? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is taking place on Long Island and it's West referencing Egg. West Egg and it's referencing the war. It would be referencing World War One. Yeah, um, right after yes. that. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, questions, questions that I sent out. One of the things. Yes, Paul. Well, one of the things that I thought of while you were describing it was in relation to kind of American storytelling. Mm -hmm. cross genres but it uh speaking of the way that the twists are revealed and the story is told there's a lot of back and forth on the timeline which of course is kind of i guess most notably and famously used today by uh quentin tarantino so often to tell a story from different points on the timeline as a way to mm -hmm. back feed you and also front feed you sometimes you will see a history of something before you get the fruit of that story told uh, in a present day moment later on a chapter or two, perhaps. Uh, I thought that was kind of, I don't know if that's significant, if that is one of the first times an American or anyone really kind of used the timeline to their discretion like that or not, but it stood out to me. Especially in the way that he has Nick Carraway do it too, because there's a, there's a very conversational way where Nick is like, well, I'm telling you this now, because now you're starting to hear from other characters in the book that there's rumors about him. So let me just tell you the straight dope and then we'll move on. But in doing that, he's like literally just like going back in time and telling a second person like narration, like story about Gatsby's yes, life. Yes. And they do it a few more times too. I mean, at, notably at the end of the book, the timeline gets super like iffy and also um, there's one time where like Jordan is telling a story um about oh, yeah. Daisy and Gatsby and it's so strange because it it really just is if Jordan just took over and wrote like yes, yes five pages of the book it's the most interesting thing I've ever read I don't know I, I, I guess not that interesting, but I think it's very fun yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was wondering like oh did they realize that did no one ever suggest an edit there because <laughs> I had to go back and be like wait who's talking right now and then when I saw it in the movie were you thinking the same thing man 
yeah but then i was like really into it like i had to I think it's wonderful like twice because i was like yeah confused like i i fully understand like sure what's happening with gatsby but i'm confused <laughs> that's something that i love so much about this book is that it is it is kind of a joy to go back and try to reread an entire paragraph or a couple pages just to really try to understand exactly what f scott Fitzgerald was trying to do um because once that sort of like meta structure of the book comes out it's really interesting oh yeah oh yeah so i want to talk about oh i want to talk about characters and i want to talk about um kind of the way he paints his scenes, like it's so vivid, right? And so a lot of the first opening of the book is basically this guy starting to talk about his neighbor that threw these big parties and yes. they, he's on the beach. So wait a minute, side note, just reality check. Uh, there's like a, a 12,000 square foot mansion <laughs> next to a house that rents for $80 a month. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would never happen. I did currency <laughs> conversions that we can go over as time goes, by the way. <laughs> currency conversions are the oh, most thank God. I was I meant never to heard. ask someone to Gatsby's mansion rents for twelve to fifteen thousand a season, which now would be two hundred thousand plus for a season. So we're wow. talking like sixty something thousand dollars a month for rent. Um and eighty dollars is uh thirteen hundred dollars. That's not bad so, on Long Island. It's actually not unbelievable. Uh, but at the time, in terms of Long Island's development, not unbelievable. Yeah. Um, right. Just yeah. a little weird. And it they always, okay, something I've been trying to figure out, but I truly don't understand is he calls it a cardboard bungalow. And I don't, I don't, I don't know what that means. No. Uh, but I hope it means his house wasn't made out of cardboard. But if it is, that's kind of funny. I know it's like an adorable cottage, actually. It's really gorgeous right on the beach, right? <laughs> and he acts like it's uh, this humble abode. I wonder if it was a, like a tar paper based construction or something like that. Sure. So Who I even knows? Heard it was cardboard. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. So what did you think? First of all, when I when I first read this, it was a long time ago, and I never knew of Twas Lorman when I first read this. But the fact that he did that party scene because you you wanted it to be garish, like when I remember that I first read the description of the party scene, the kind of people that were there, and the rumors and the fame, and I was like, oh, getting to one of my favorite parts. Scene. Oh, do you have something marked to read? Well. Not necessarily. There's just a, a portion where the narration breaks down and Nick just starts telling you a hundred different names of people that do not exist yes, that were at yes. Gatsby's house. And it is three paragraphs. It's the most useless part of the entire book, but I, I think it's know. hilarious. And there's a fun reference actually to another Fitzgerald book in there. Um, in um, This Side of Paradise, his first book, um, or no, it's in the Beautiful and Damned, the second book. Um, there's a main character who controls films par excellence, which I'm led to believe is some sort of early motion picture appreciation society or something. Sure. Or like just a movie studio, who knows? Um, but one of the characters that Nick Carraway mentions is the guy in charge of films par excellence. Oh, that's oh, great. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, very useless. No, but it's so funny. Sentence, but it's so fun. Yeah. yeah, I didn't expect this to be as funny. Like I, and it really, it really hits on the idea too. 
that all of these people are miserable because he's listing these super rich people and he's saying all these weird ways that they died or went home and drowned or the guy who shot himself or the guy before he was institutionalized or the guy right after so early in the afternoon they're absolutely shit-faced already right absolutely i mean the finger bowls of champagne and everything yeah, yeah. i am um i won't dance around it too much i i'm not the biggest fan of the Boz Lerman film i think it's fun okay. i think it's i think it's visually as good as it will ever be yeah i think the casting is pretty good yeah i would have liked to not have leonardo dicaprio but i guess i get it yeah um, he pulls it off it man. makes sense i remember like i don't remember much about it i remember some scenes vividly because i remember reading the book and picturing specifically what it looked like in that movie just because it's ingrained in my head yeah the, the criticisms i have of it are like really nitpicking like he <laughs> boz lerman for some reason completely destroys net caraway's father's advice and basically turns it into like don't judge someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes which is like patently not what nick's father said oh. like nick's father said whenever you feel like criticizing anyone he told me just remember that all the people in the world haven't had the advantages you've had and nick comes from this like straight to the ivy leagues middle western like straight up wealthy family and i think yeah, it's oftentimes yeah readings of this book like to pretend as if Nick is like poor um and the reality is like he has servants like right. he's, he has yeah. a servant throughout the entire he's book not poor at all he, like he's, 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 poor. he's lower rich yeah yeah he's, <laughs> he's not upper rich he's, he's not lower, upper middle lower he's, middle rich he's perhaps. lower middle rich <laughs> but what he what his father's really getting at is like look I before you go and get start being super judgmental of people who you think are acting garishly like maybe acknowledge that you have had a very specific upbringing that leads you to not right. act that way and nick says reserving judgments is a matter of infinite hope i'm still afraid of missing something if i forget that as my father snobbishly suggested and i snobbishly repeat a sense of the fundamental decencies is partialed out unequally at birth and it's like this very interesting i think I don't know. There's a lot of class analysis in this book. And no, there is. Constantly. There is. I think he oftentimes Nick observe. gets lost in that class analysis, despite the fact yeah. that his like positionality at the start of the book and him being able to be a well-to-do outsider looking in, you yeah. know, like is um super important well, to like, how to this book functions. A well-to-do outsider, right? Right. Which is, I mean, that was basically Escap his job experience as well. You know, that that's where you get the most. Um, that's where you get the most Lerman, if I have seen a Boz Lerman film that I truly enjoyed I don't I know, know what right I know right <laughs> wait you don't like Romeo and Juliet Romeo and Juliet with guns because West Side Story couldn't yes. get the rights I, uh, wait let's not get off on a tangent I have a yeah question. I'm sorry <laughs> I have a yeah. I'll bitch about Boz Lerman all day no, she no, knows no. that she's got I wanna, me she's right I wanna I like the thoughtfulness of these questions that I found um mm -hmm. some sort of online book club so da the character of Daisy Daisy mm -hmm. is so central to this story because we find out that Daisy is this woman who lives in this area who's Nick's cousin He's somebody that she's somebody that he knows in the area. She's married with a baby and, and she's sort of rich and sad is sort of, I guess, how she's portrayed. She loves Nick. 
Nick is her cousin. She's always like, whenever you want to kiss me, darling, <laughs> just, <laughs> just hand me your glove. He's like, really? I'm and giving out green cards tonight. A little too much. But right. it becomes known that Gatsby would like to meet up with Daisy and all of these things are revealed over time. So tell me your thoughts of Daisy, how she was written, what's your picture? Is she helpless? Is she cruel? What do you what do you think about now Daisy? we're getting serious I think, Daisy, I think Daisy is a very interesting character yeah um she says you see I think everything's terrible anyhow everyone thinks so the most advanced people and I know I've been everywhere and seen everything and done everything sophisticated god I'm sophisticated <laughs> Yeah. And then Nick's, and then Nick says, I felt the basic insincerity of what she had said. It made me uneasy. Yes. Um, I get it. I get it. You're like, wow, you don't also, like the world. Daisy, she has good reason to not write like the world. Fuck Tom. I yes. think Tom is maybe the most important character in the book because he's the he's biggest the villain. He's the worst. He's, he's so, worst. I mean, like not even to be 2022, like he was he was notably racist for the time because that's kind of right. like made him yes. super racist. He yes. is to and me like the, it's a crazy, like oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, what? Even Jordan at one point was like, what are you doing? No, the way that Daisy interacts <laughs> with him is the funniest part of the entire book where, um, <laughs> he's talking about the Nordic race. Oh, yes. Yeah, right. And Daisy, and Daisy says, Tom's getting very profound, says Daisy with an expression of unthoughtful sadness. <laughs> he reads deep books with long words in them. What was the word we, and then Tom interrupts her because the amount of M dashes put in the middle of dialogue because Tom has to say something. Yeah. Once you go back and realize it, it's like, oh, every time he talks, he's interrupting somebody. He doesn't have a single original thought. His entire life is reactive. <laughs> Oh, I was very wow. impressed by the study of toxic masculinity at that time in American mm -hmm. history. It, so much it, of this book is really, Fitzgerald really like... puts it on display and hoists it on a spit and turns it around slow over a very open, low roasting fire for the entirety of the book. Yeah. And apparently a lot of people just uh, like a big shiny car and a molar for a tie tack. <laughs> that's just you know th those are the things that stick with most people they don't really oh, look see. at that portion of it at least oh. you never got that in uh my high school all right literature well, class anyway because you hadn't lived enough yet do you know like i think the first time no, i'm saying it wasn't a topic it. of discussion while the teacher was teaching the book oh right you know right. tom is such an incidental character in so many teachings yeah. of the book despite the fact that he's fully the linchpin of the story yes he's the literal without tom gatsby would have lived like they say it at the oh, end of the yeah. book tom sold gatsby out like <laughs> despite yeah. the fact that he knew that his fucking wife did it like he did not care um yes and i think that uh, at some point we'll have to get to the end because i actually had some really interesting thoughts about daisy there um, yeah too well, but what what i when i remember when i first read this i was like I don't know if this bitch is just weak or I don't understand the appeal or was it just they have this madly in love thing because she just seems so like weak and boring to me mm -hmm. but 
they're like her voice is full of money oh i was just about like to read rain. That. and i'm like really are you into that like what, why is that the but best but thing? <laughs> but that is interesting <laughs> like interesting like, but is it like build a life on interesting yeah give up your like focus all your hopes and dreams on for years and years until you build a mansion across from another mansion to attract her back he committed like, himself to a grail he was emotionally <laughs> married to her that was all was. there was a line where he says he was emotionally married to her that was all as if that's like no big deal uh, i find yeah, that yeah, yeah. when you think about it it's the first real like high level million dollar plus troll job Building right. that that whole house across the bay. It's stalking. I will say the best part of the, the, the best part by far of the Baz Luhrmann film is the mansion that they used, which is a real Long Island mansion that is on Zillow. Sometimes, if you ever want to go, absolutely. Yeah, we're thinking uh, about it. We're the real thing it. is crazier than the book ever goes. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> of course, of course. I believe it. Yeah. Um, We've got new machines and stuff now. <laughs> but yeah, but but I think money is crucial to Daisy though. Um right. like it it's it's um well let me tell you a big shift wealth in prisons at one point. Yeah. Yes. So a long time ago when I'm reading this book and Gatsby's throwing <clears throat> all of his shirts onto Daisy and Daisy's going, Oh my gosh, oh, oh they're too That's actually a cute moment. Cries. She cries. She says, I've just never seen so many beautiful shirts. And I'm yeah. thinking like, this is an idiot. And then why <laughs> does she care? And why does he care? And this is gross. And then now it has 50 more layers because she just is, she cannot express her feelings. She cannot. And, and you... this is the moment when she would say, I'm crying because I'm sad because I wish I'd known you the last. Instead, she says, these are beautiful shirts. And it's just, and now I understand that, right? That yeah. was a huge shift in Daisy's character in my mind for me, was that I kind of get if her character feels like this is just what a woman has to do. I think it's easy, but a mistake to think that Daisy doesn't have any motivations because at the end, Nick just says that Tom and Daisy are careless people, which sort of implies that they, they're just sort of doing their own thing. Um, and whoever they affect, they affect. But in reality, I think that in a lot of ways, Daisy kind of benefits from running Myrtle over and also killing Gatsby. I mean, or like Gatsby being dead. I mean, like what she, it seems as if like what her and Gatsby really loved about each other was sort of this like imprisoned moment in Kentucky um, during the war. Way all and, the relationships start. <laughs> well, exactly. But also like, I think that's all their relationship ever was to either of them. And I think once they met up again, it became this, it became increasingly clear to both of them. And I think once you get to the climax and you start seeing the fight, like Daisy's actions there really show that she really does have motivation. Like all she wants is money and security. That's all she wants. Mm, yeah. She just doesn't want to have to think about it. She she wants to like live under some illusion that she's a good parent to her child, which, oh my God, I, I doubt it. Um, like Deep down, the fact that the kid, the fact that the kid is mentioned- So she doesn't have to do it. You know? It is mentioned like I think one time in the Baz Luhrmann movie and two times in the book is insane to me that the kid is yeah. not. I mean, I guess I get why it's not more of a character. F. Scott Fitzgerald is good at writing children, though, so we should have put her in. It's um, intentional, though, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you guys something real quick. Okay, go ahead. Um, 
right before we started the show, Paul uh, breaded up these lion's mane mushrooms and mm -hmm. they were amazing. And now he just went away for a minute and came back with this fruit crisp dessert that he just baked. Oh my goodness. So, Wonderful. It's really nice. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. Thank you. Well, um, I, I just knew that it was a terrible time to bring you in the middle of the podcast, some of this delightful berry crumble. <laughs> but I also knew that if I brought some by myself and not you, I would be worse than Tom. Yeah, yeah. So um, I have to say, I don't really like, Gatsby's my favorite character. You know, <laughs> Nick feels mm -hmm. like kind of bland. Daisy, I'm like, ah, mm, she might get on my nerves. You, you know, I was like, who is, who do I like? Yeah. Are there any characters that you like that you're like, I'd like to know a person like that? I am the world's number one Jordan Baker fan. I was oh, really? I feel like I love Jordan sorry, Baker. What? Jordan Baker is oh, my yeah, favorite character in this Jordan. book. I love Jordan. Everything. And I love Jordan. And because I love Jordan, I also really, really love Nick and have a deep appreciation for how Nick is written as a character. And his, Nick is like, I think more complex than a lot of first person narrators are. I think like, I, I haven't read many first person books from before this, but like thinking about like, I think Catcher in the Rye, like Holden is also like a pretty complex first person narrator and has a lot mm -hmm. of internal contradictions, but I think Nick really has a lot more internal contradictions than he gets credit for. And his level of objectivity is rarely questioned, despite the fact that we don't really have any reason to believe he's telling us the truth at any given time, or at least yeah. that he's not revising the truth in some way. Um, but what I love so much about Jordan Baker is specifically like the way Nick describes Jordan is so funny. Oh, yeah. He right. never that uses a single positive word to describe Jordan. Yeah. Like, okay. It is always like wan, contemptuous, like... <laughs> Yeah, he, yeah. but he but he he objectively is looking for that I mean that's yeah. that seems to fully be like he he's very into her like he says multiple times in the book that he's either almost in love with her half in love with her something like that like he's right. about it um but he's he bad. never has a good word to say about her and I absolutely I think it's so weird <laughs> um, <laughs> hang out with her though like she seems so fun like yeah. <laughs> no she seems so fun and I also think Jordan Baker um sort of just represents um like a level of accidental freedom um for like a woman at that time Oh my like, gosh. Because, yeah. because her entire goddamn family's dead. <laughs> she's rich. She's from old money, but everybody's dead. Golf? So she can do basically whatever she wants. Mm -hmm. But isn't she um, a famous athlete as well? Yes. Yeah. So she's like got celebrity status. She's a pro golfer. She's got celebrity status. Golfer. She's a hot thing. Yeah. 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 But that's a complicated situation there. You lose your whole family. And I mean, who even knows, right? Like, I, I know there's, now that the rights are public, I, I saw like a continuation novel of Gatsby written like five years ago called Nick that was supposed to flesh out Nick's story and I haven't oh, read it, but it what? You haven't read it? That yeah. was my mind. I like to stick to like Scott Fitzgerald's line. work. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just, it's just occurring to me now, but is, is she based uh loosely on babe diedrichson do you have well, any idea you would know better than i i have no idea 
uh, Babe Dietrichson Zaharias, her married name, <laughs> was uh, one of the decathlon or the pentathlon, I think it is for, was for women at the time in the Olympics. Massive star, became a pro golfer after that. I'm sure. And was, uh, you know, world famous. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that didn't dawn on me till now, but I. I have to imagine, or at least wonder if. Yeah, well, the the article that I read, because my friend just earlier today, I was talking to a friend on the phone and told him I was doing this tonight. And they said, oh, did you not know that a lot of people think Zelda wrote that? And she sent me this article or led me to this article. Yeah. And it was like, oh, well, because Zelda's life, there were things in her life that were like completely like journals and things like mm-hmm. that that were put right in there and they they didn't end well you know <laughs> they, they didn't turn out well Zelda days. famously had a very bad life yeah um, and yeah. Zelda and Scott are a very interesting couple because they were the first celebrity couple <laughs> like it, it, they were legitimately like the first like celebrity couple where both of them were notable for different things right, and they were sort of when, together almost as like a professional relationship how would their names be combined the way we do them like benifer like that? oh no, that's a how great would question you do that with zelda and scott zelda. Zelda. i like zelda fitzgerald zelda. or how would it um, be the other way it was probably they were probably just zelda. the fitzgeralds zelda yeah but when you saw him out when you wanted to call him a one being but it was dramatic but that's yeah so uh the one of the questions that i sent out to the group i was curious if you guys thought were you surprised by her decision that was the climax of the movie when they decide you know that they've been reunited um gatsby has fired his servants they're kind of in all up in each other's business 24 hours a day trying to figure out they're how they're going to have a life and then they are supposed to go have dinner at the Buchanan's so that Daisy can tell Tom that she never loved him and that's the hottest day that's the plan and are you surprised at what happened I mean this so much shit goes wrong starting right now in a hurry um, oh, she's not surprised. Okay, not surprised. take it on, take it and on. I'll t- and I'll tell you why. Um, <laughs> if you follow like the fight in the climax, like I think the first line of the climax of the book is um, they were out in the open now and Gatsby was content. Like that's when it really starts. That's right after Tom is essentially like, what kind of a row were you trying to cause in my house? And the key, the problem and what leads to Gatsby's downfall is that Gatsby needs Zelda to have never loved Tom, despite the fact that that is completely incidental for Gatsby and Zelda being together in the long run. And for, I'm sorry, Wait, I, I keep saying Zelda. Zelda. Yeah. I mean, Daisy, I'm sorry. But see, yeah, but, but see. But is it? <laughs> I knew I was going to do that at some point. Okay, okay. okay Gatsby yes, and Daisy. All right. What's key to Gatsby is that Daisy has never loved Tom, despite the fact that it doesn't really matter. Like if he just accepted that she loves Gatsby now and hates her marriage with Tom as any woman married to Tom Buchanan would and would prefer the security of this like goddamn millionaire over here, but it's new money. So it's a little bit risky. Like it's, it's super incidental that she ever loved Tom. 
And Tom is able to use that pretty masterfully to be like, well, let me prove to you that he's lying to you. And at some point you definitely did love me, which is obvious because like, he, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know, money can't buy love, but if somebody gave me a $600,000 pearl necklace in the 1920s, which I calculated is like two or it's, it's millions and millions of yeah, dollars. Millions of dollars. Um, <laughs> it's so much money. Um, like, I think Daisy wants the comfort that money provides. It's not that she's like materialistic so much as she just doesn't want to ever have to think about that and just wants to be sort of this free thing forever or as yeah. long as she can. Um, and it's really, if you follow through, it's this is when when Daisy really turns against Gatsby is when she says, oh, you want too much. I love you now. Isn't that enough? I can't help what's past. She began to sob helplessly. I did love him once, but I loved you too. And then it says Gatsby's eyes opened and closed. You loved me too? And it's like, Gatsby, just take it, bro. She says right under there that she's still going to leave Tom. Like, you got to go. Get in the car and start driving. Sometimes missing this window of opportunity. It's, Some dudes it's, just can't win enough. But they it's so important. A certain it's so, way. It's so important to Gatsby, and it's because he wants to repeat the past, right? It's the end of that last chapter where Nick and Gatsby are talking, and Nick's like, you can't repeat the past, buddy. Like, you can't just do this thing from during the war and this girl down in Kentucky. Like, you can't just do that. And he's like, what do you mean? Of course I can. I'm absolutely going to do that. Like, I think Gatsby thinks that like money buys like time travel or something. Like he has, he has an idea about money. That's so fantastical. Well, I've seen, I feel like I've known guys like this and I'll describe them because I've known at least five, I'd say in my life, right. They have some extreme PTSD when they're young, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Either their family abandons them or poverty, something like that. Something huge has happened in their life when they were young. And whereas some people might react like crumble, these people rise to be like superstars. Mm -hmm. And I've known at least five of these people. And what I know about them is they can pull off anything and appear Mm -hmm. 100% confident, look good doing it, attract great people in their life. But they are a scared little boy you know, just Mm -hmm. trying to compensate, just trying to figure shit out. And it's delicate. And you don't realize how delicate it is until you realize that Gatsby has done every single thing that he's done to try to get Daisy back. And she's just like vapid, (laughs) you know, kind of, he could do better is what I'm saying. Well, my app, I think probably like my second or third favorite line in the book because I really like the ending a lot um, is right in the beginning when Nick is describing Gatsby and he says if personality is a series of unbroken or I'm sorry if personality is an unbroken series of successful gestures then there is something gorgeous about him some heightened sensitivity to the promises of life as if he were related to one of those intricate machines that register earthquakes 10,000 miles away like it's such a cute line. Honestly, I think Nick and Gatsby's relationship is just cute. I don't think it's gay. I think people want to make it gay. And I know that's a topic of discussion, but I think 
the problem is when you start to try to find proof, you're always going to lose. I think sure. if you want to think that they're gay, that's fun, but don't try to <laughs> prove it because you're not going to, it's just impossible. Unfortunately. Right. I, will say, I, I was excited when I did read that because it's right at the beginning and I was like, Ooh, how gay is this going to get? And then <laughs> and my like, one, my one like uh, queer, my, my one queer take on Gatsby is that I think you could, you could read this book the entire time, even in the 1920s, assuming that Jordan Baker um, is a trans woman and you wouldn't have to change a single line for it to like be fine because right. Jordan Baker's only surviving relative is a senile aunt who may not remember what she was like as a kid she could stealth transition somewhere in there well oh, interesting anyway, yeah that's my take I'm not going to try to find yeah. proof for it but if I were casting a movie I would go with the trans girl for Jordan that's all I have to say okay okay I'm listening moon moon chime in and I would go with Toby McGuire for Nick Carraway because that was on the nose I liked Toby Maguire. Super into that. I really liked that a lot. Okay. Well, I was saying Hunter Schaefer would be a good. <gasps> Maybe. Oh, perhaps. My God. Hunter you know that. So that's, beautiful. That's targeted. That's targeted content at me. <laughs> <laughs> I love Hunter Schaefer so much. Oh I know. I know. Now I'm just like, wow. They could play anybody. They could be a wizard. Yeah you know or olympian it's i would buy it i'd be like sure okay in fact if you said olympian. olympic wizard i'd be like if yep would, okay cast hunter schaefer as an olympic wizard i would buy it hook line and sinker <laughs> yes i believe that you can do that i remember probably the very first time i i probably when the robert redford version of the movie came out it became this stylish thing. Like people wanted that look. They wanted that tan walking down the beach in your white linen suit guy. Leonardo and, DiCaprio was not tan enough for that movie. Let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. the there thing, was no sunscreen. Like, I, come on. I remember people loving that look. And then when I finally saw the movie, I'm like, oh, well, all the people in this movie are super sad. Like no one yeah. is really happy in this movie. I mean, they're yeah, that's what it's about. <laughs> But they're not happy. <laughs> no one is happy. Um, the poor, rich, and bored. I know. They're right. just like <laughs> unhappy. But it's so beautifully done that people would be like, ooh, let's have a Gatsby party. It's like, you realize they're sad, right? <laughs> We're for sure. Yeah. yeah, but you don't have to be. <laughs> yeah. That is true. Yeah, Your Gatsby party is what you well, make it. What the were you saying, about I feel like that's the people who are missing the whole point of the class themes, like entirely. Like they just want to look at the, the the fun stuff. Something that I think yeah. is super interesting about Gatsby in hindsight is that number one, like F. Scott has this quote where he says that he's writing for the youth of today, um, the critics of tomorrow, and the school teachers for like the rest of history. And like, <clears throat> good for him. He was able to do that. But by the time he died on um, the great Gatsby had only sold 20,000 copies and was out of print, um, which in contrast, his first book, the side of paradise had sold 50,000 copies in like a few months. Um, and so like Gatsby was like a failure. <laughs> like, wow. and that's so interesting. When, by the time he died, he was writing these like really <laughs> sad essays. Um, and he was like in it, like alcohol was taking him. He was in his late thirties. He was writing these really sad essays that Hemingway was like making fun of him for like in the press um, and that everybody found really corny. But as time passed um, and especially once you got past 
um, World War II, people started to take a much different look at like the jazz age. And like F. Scott Fitzgerald like may have coined the term jazz age too, but like it became an age that was interesting because it was like American lawlessness at its like quote unquote most wholesome because like prohibition was stupid. Um, everybody had all the money in the goddamn world. It was great. Everybody had just come back from the war and some people were kind of upset, but everybody else just really wanted to be in the middle of it and, you know, listen to some music and stuff. I don't know. It got a lot more glamorous in hindsight. I'll, I'll say this about, cause we we've done the sun also rises on the show mm. and it's young people roaming around drinking too much and making terrible relationship decisions right, which is what all about, these authors were doing for their yes, entire yes. lives so um so when i was thinking about comparing those two to each other and one of the questions that i sent out was like do you think jay gadsby rec represents the american dream and here's the question what do you think fitzgerald is saying about the american dream in the 1920s what statement might fitzgerald be making about more Moors or ethos of American culture. So with both of those books, with The Sun Also Rises and this one, I believe it couldn't be more obvious what they're saying. They're saying like, this is ridiculous. People are focused on entirely the wrong things. Like right. no one's happy. There's way too much wealth. No one really knows each other or likes each other. No one's treating each other well. These relationships aren't going well. So it's basically, I feel like he's slapping rich in the face but like, i would also counter that for f scott Fitzgerald specifically i don't know too awful much about ernest Hemingway, but this may be true for him too um for f scott Fitzgerald specifically it also gatsby really has this era of like but yeah that's what you signed up for like i mean you went to the east do you not know what yeah. the east stands for like my middle west stands for this and if i wanted that i would have stayed there but no i came to the yeah. east where money was cheap and things were really dangerous and I had a really shitty time. And now I want this sense of moral absolution. You know, Nick, the writer, the person writing the book after the events of it is able to be like, well, now I just want everybody to stop lying to me. And like, that's cool, Nick, but like he did live his life. <laughs> and like, it was what yeah. he signed up for. And I think he kind of realized while like kind of observing and experiencing this sort of life, like oh, like these people all signed up for this and it's going to ruin all of their lives. Yeah, well, the first and time- That's what ultimately like happened that, to all of them. I mean- Oh like, yeah, well, I think <laughs> what, what they do a really good job of is showing someone, like there's so many people like Nick in movies who mm -hmm. they're living sort of kind of a basic conservative, well-to-do life. And then suddenly- they're at like fucking Burning Man. And they're just right. like, what is happening? And then they start meeting right. movie stars, doing cocaine with them. And they're like, how am I living this life? It's so weird. And there's two ways you can go. You can go right along with it and be like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing now and buy all into it. Mm -hmm. Or you can kind of observe it and go, these people just are not having a good time. You know, or you can do both, which is what I think Nick uh, yeah, does. He, he, in a he lot does. of ways, he walks the line. He walks the line. But I think when you first know that, you don't know that it's going to be so bad. It's mm -hmm. like, do you do y'all remember that movie Less Than Zero? Oh yeah, I do not. It was, a, it was like a brat pack in the eighties. James Spader, Ali Sheedy, uh, Rob Lowe, um, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Why? And they're they're two rich 
rich, two rich kids. They're just super rich. Impossibly rich LA kids. Addicted <laughs> to things, you know, and they're some of them are starting to understand that it's getting bad and mm-hmm. others are not. They're in denial, you know. But I think like that story is true in any era. Mm-hmm. If I rich and sad. If I can, if I ever um, come back for another episode, it'll be on this side of paradise, which oh, I, yeah. is another Fitzgerald book. And I also very much, in a lot of ways, reads like 1920s, like Gossip Girl. Like oh. it's just, it's just very much just like the lives of the ch- of the youth of the time. And it's a much more like, um, it's, it, I wouldn't say it's less sad, but it is like much less sad. It's, it's just more, um, biographical and sort of it's it's almost like pseudo document documentary issue um it's sort of like pre-kerouac almost um reminds me of um but it's fun and it is telling that exact story yeah i think portrait of dorian gray has some moments like that too yeah we did we did picture of dorian gray and um i was thinking it was also about, uh, you know, rich people yeah. doing silly, vapid things. The beauty that yes. wealth imprisons. <laughs> yes, yes. And, yeah. and when Daisy rips up the letter and says she doesn't want to get married and you find yeah. out the letter is him writing to her for more saying that he's penniless and they can't get married. Yeah. And I think about how much art, like, I'm watching Bridgerton in the last few weeks here, watching okay. Bridgerton. Yeah. And of course, it's about the exact same thing. It's about <laughs> rich people talking about each other, doing terrible things. People trying to marry above their station. Yes. And it yeah. being like scandalous to be with someone who, you know, has a baby already or it, just all of it. It's all this like, we do things for the most bizarre reasons and no one's telling the truth ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what the stories are about it seems um okay i haven't heard much from paul paul thoughts about daisy or or gatsby or what they say about humanity but what they say about community humanity humanity uh right uh because there's not a lot of community first of all <laughs> so i wanted to, no. to just clarify that but yeah the the thing about daisy is uh, I think vapid comes to mind. Uh, I don't think she's dumb. I think she's very smart uh, to get what she wants, as Eleanor was elucidating earlier, with regard to just having a comfortable station in life uh, and, and not wanting to be poor, not having to deal with much of that, either from a sightline or physical experience perspective. So I, I feel like. She's a product of her environment. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. Pretty much every level. I mean, and as so okay. many rich young people are. I have to say this before I forget it. I just realized what I think of Daisy. She's exhausted from never being allowed to be anything. She's <laughs> just exhausted by it. Like, that's my impression of Daisy. Like, nothing's ever really been expected of her. Her decisions haven't mattered that much. I think it's easy to dislike Daisy, but if you do, it's like, well, what did what did you expect? 
Exactly. Right. Yeah, I From mean, this she, character profile. Like, yeah, she's doing true. the best she can by all measures. She I mean, is. she certainly talks much prettier than I would imagine like a real version of her character. There's a, there's a kindness to Daisy. Like, and a there certainly out. is. She certainly cares about her daughter. I mean, it's a little weird that she only shows up twice, but still yeah, in that weird, very late 1920s way, she does yeah. indeed. Right. <laughs> sure, she hired a nurse. That's good. <laughs> I mean, right. That's yeah, good. yeah. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to hire that nurse. Um, yeah, I'm probably being a little hard on Daisy because she says, I hope my daughter is a, a fool, a beautiful oh, little beautiful fool. Tell. She's, she's kind of just beaten down by the world at this point. Yeah. I mean, Tom is not the world's best husband. Let me tell you what. No. I was going to no, say, feel for he's him. pretty like, awful. Like, yeah. Man, I mean, if jump in. Ahead. I was going to say, I feel for her just because I don't like Tom, like at all. Like, right. if anything at all, like, you got to give her that. <laughs> you got to yeah. give her that, that fucking. Right. She has some judgment. Ton of sympathy for her on that level. Like, sure. I mean, how many times has she been punched by that asshole? Right. Well, that's also the implication too, right? Yeah. That scene with Myrtle in the apartment is, I think, like one of the most horrifying scenes in the book. I mean, even more, almost even more than Myrtle like getting hit at the end of the book. It's terrifying when he just breaks her nose, and it's just like very matter-of-factly reported in the book. Like, oh, yep, and there's that conversation. The whole room blood everywhere. mm, Well, that happened, I guess. And And the imagery of that scene is insane. The way that things are revealed in this book are great. Yeah. You mentioned that earlier, Shelley. Like, I some I always had to reread things because it would either be so matter of fact like that, or it would be so like the most dramatic thing ever, described in the most nonchalant way, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, wait a minute, like, whoa, 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 there. <laughs> like, we need to slow, like, what's going on? Yes, even like the the woman getting hit by the car and the gunshot are kind of just just said. Yeah, and like almost breezed over. Almost breezed over. And then they go back and explain everything up until that point, but they're like, okay, and now you understand that that we've done that. Something actually interesting about Myrtle getting hit by the car that um, my fiance pointed out to me yesterday is that you know how there's this kind of sexist horror movie trope where horror movie directors and writers really like to, for some reason, like mute, have women's breasts mutilated in some way. Some like oh. pretty gross slasher movies that happens. Yeah. Right, yeah. Did F. Scott Fitzgerald start that? Well, I don't remember. <laughs> it's just I don't the remember. first time he's done Did it. he describe her breast as mangled? He just kind of left her. Yeah, yeah, no, he described it as a flap. Yeah. Oh, like, I like, missed. like it's just somehow missed that. It's so horrifying. Yeah. Literally nasty. That was so gross. There was no need to listen for the heart beneath. <laughs> yeah, just... that part that that part hit me as yeah. a very clear. You know, okay, she got fucked up. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Like we don't really realize it's Myrtle right away. Mm-hmm. And it takes a minute for him to get there. Although the man in the garage wailing does kind of tell yeah. the story before. You certainly, the you certainly don't know who did it because they call it the death car, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> which is so insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you should name your car something else if you're going to be reckless like that. Tom in that, <laughs> Tom in that scene in the garage though is super fascinating. Because right. he comes up and he fully doesn't believe it. He says, wreck, that's good. Wilson will have a little business at last. And in my notes, yeah. I wrote, Jesus, Tom. 
Like, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Tom's got a financial interest in the place. And then he said, and then he says, there's some bad trouble there, said Tom excitedly. And in my notes, yeah. I said, Jesus, Tom. Excitedly like, was a chill very out, man. And then he realizes there. it's his girlfriend. Like, it's like, well, yeah, dude. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I just remembered the whole party scene when, you know, Nick gets into that party with, he doesn't realize he's going to spend all day drinking and partying yeah. with this crew. And it just, the way that party was described took me right back to the best slash worst parties I've ever been to. Tom, Paul and I were sitting yeah. here going like, this party looks like some bullshit. And then we're like, oh. well, actually, this part seems pretty fun. Yeah, no, that's pretty lit right <laughs> there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know what? We would leave now. This this part yeah, of the party Yeah, we got to get out of here. Oh, wait, good. wait, wait. Look at actually, that. Actually, that part oh, looks pretty on. fun. <laughs> you know? yeah. But like, you, you've been to those parties where you're like, what happened last night? You're like, you know, I feel like somebody got punched. And those... Some like, wives got carried away. Grew up or went to the hospital. Husbands, yeah. yeah. I might have hooked up with somebody. I woke up in my car. You know, there's there's guy, nights where you're like, there's a guy oh. floating dead in the pool at the end. There's a guy. Okay, when they're leaving the party, and they stop and have this little vignette where Nick is watching as the guy crashed his car and ripped a wheel off. Yes. And the owl-eyed man is trying to explain. He's like, I know nothing whatsoever about mechanics. <laughs> and nobody realizes that he wasn't even driving and his even more drunk counterpart was driving. He's like, back it out. And it's like, the wheel is not on the car. <laughs> that little moment is just so funny to me to just describe. Like that, that part was so funny to me. Like that's maybe one of my favorite parts because the way it was described, like it was like he just failed and failed to understand that it had physically the wheel had physically left the vehicle <laughs> isn't it crazy yeah, that, yes. isn't it crazy we didn't have drunk driving laws until like <laughs> yes yes what a fucking mess you know what i thought about a lot because they're driving back and forth and they go from like the beach vibe mm-hmm. that through like the pit of hell oh uh, yeah the ash you know the ash heap into the city and Not that that there. vision of like leaving this life and going to this life, mm-hmm. I felt like, I, well, I actually wonder what you think about that. Have you thought about that imagery? Of Yeah, like- the ass shapes are super crazy. I don't know. I think TJ, the eyes of TJ Ackerberg are probably like the most important piece of symbolism in the book. Just sure. the way that George Wilson like implies them as like a religious, as an object of religious significance. Is that the first time that someone compared worship of capitalism to work to like religious oh, worship? Who knows? It was the twenties, yeah. um, but I certainly think that that's like a super fascinating little thing. And the ash heaps themselves just serve as just—I don't know—the imagery is is fascinating. And I think like yeah. Baz Luhrmann's movie is super funny because I think he gets it right in terms of what the imagery says. Yeah. But when you see it in the movie, you're like. Is that what a story will look like in the 20s? <laughs> <laughs> Eyes to me, it's like, I see you. I yeah. see all this shit going down. Like nobody's getting away with anything. That's what yeah. I think about the eyes. You know? And it's it's the literal embodiment of commodity fetish too. You know what I'm saying? Like It's literally yeah. just mm-hmm. like an eyeglasses place. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Mom. Are you saying, man? There is a billboard in real life. Like this really exists. Um, in Michigan, off of 275, just eyes. It's just somebody's eyes. Has we drive by it a lot. 
and we're all constantly just like, what are you looking at? Who is that? Because it reminds me of the great Gatsby, obviously, because it's just a close up picture of somebody's eyes. And I'm like, what? and there's no information about it. Like, nope. I can't figure it out. There's and nothing. so I'm, I just want to know who, who bought this billboard and put their eyes up. There. Like, it's just so interesting it's to been me. there quite some time. I know. So somebody's staying on that payment. You know what I mean? That's set up on auto pay. The social experiment. It's weird. Yeah. yeah, it's an oculist who forgot that they bought the billboard and they didn't really oh look over gosh. what it looked like before it got put up. So it looks nice. really cool, but it also looks like maybe it could be a secret calling for a just like it has a phone number over it that like traces back to like a pro a pro life very creepy no information i can't i can't it's decide i love it or mm-hmm. hate it because it's so scary i'm glad someone's getting in on the tradition it really does it, i don't like to look at it anymore as we drive by i got it it's always right on the way back and forth from a hockey or a soccer game yeah. or something like that, that yeah we're going back and forth from so yeah can i add i have another tidbit that i was going to say earlier that i forgot about um because we were talking about um like when it came out and f scott fitzgerald died before it like really was a huge hit and um he died in 1940 because it says it on the back of my copy and i have this copy that i got from um just my house so dad i don't know if you know anything about this but this is a copy from of the great gatsby from 1953 and it's just so cool because it's so old so that's yeah. that is for sure from your mom i would think it was uh probably yeah. papa max's or grandma barbie's that's what i thought as well copy yeah. from high school or something 53 yeah, is probably um, when it first yeah hold that up real quick it's well, really cool. Uh, On the top here, it says a dollar twenty-five. That's, yeah, great. That's fantastic. I love it so much. I was reading this on the train and the other day. If it was Papa Max, you know oh, he was complaining about the dollar twenty-five oh, too. Look at this. Oh, hold yours up again, because now Ellen Oh yeah, I like to put both of them up. There that we go. Cool. Yay. Oh, yeah, Eleanor gosh. just got this new one, right? Yeah. yeah, it's a fancy one. It looks cool. That's really nice. Oh, we got it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, so I feel like it says so much more. This is one of the reasons why I love going back and reading books again and watching movies again after a long period of time because they become about something completely else depending on your life, you know? So you read, Mm -hmm. like I really need to go reread Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance because it kicked my ass when I was 19 or so, but I haven't probably read it since then. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I think about The Great Gatsby, I thought it was a stylistically interesting kind of weird love story about this rich guy and this, you know, like whatever, but I didn't see the whole painting of a whole snapshot of the time and excess and post-war and. Yeah, it was, it was a snapshot assessment of the state of humanity in an unfavorable position. Yeah. In my, that's how I look at it now. When I was younger, I'm sure I thought it was, oh, Look at this, he's a rich gangster with a sweet car. Yeah. yeah. You know? I think in spite of myself, I admire this book most for like style and craft. Um, uh-huh. Despite the fact that I do really like the story and characters, I, I just think that there's that, I some critics said this about this book at some point, but it was like, it has 55,000 words, something like that. And every single one is exactly correct. 
Um, and oh, I just, wow. I do think that it's like, it is the great American novel. It's, it's just so short. Honestly, I think that's what's so yeah. impressive about it. It's so short, but there's so much detail that he did not need to include. There's so much <laughs> like fat that an editor theoretically could cut, but didn't because it's like a little bit more fun if the story just has these strange little interludes. I don't know. It doesn't read oh, quite I as densely is- as like A Heart of Darkness, which is like a novella that takes three weeks to read, but yeah, it's right. definitely like... I don't know. It's denser than it gets credit for while also still being a really short read. I don't know. It's an interesting yeah. book. <laughs> yeah, yes. so much happens in, in such a short, I have 182 pages, like it's right. under 200 pages. Yeah. But so much happens. And like the movies, aren't they? Like, that's, a, that's a long screenplay. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's all that is. I, I like, think they should do a four-part miniseries. Oh, that would be dope. Okay. Yeah, to give it, give it the full treatment. Yeah, right. exactly. And just do it as if you were doing like a Shakespearean play. I mean, you, honestly, I don't think you need to change much at all, especially about the dialogue. Because that's right. stuff that was writing TV scripts at the time. Like he knew how to write dialogue in a conversational way. Yeah. Yes. Did you, uh, did anybody catch uh, the mini series version of Catch 22? That, that was from a, a, a filmography standpoint done mm-hmm. a massive service by taking it out over six or seven episodes I or think, whatever it was and i would I love to see it, yeah. that kind of treatment where you can include every page of the book every book adaptation deserves that because i also think scott pilgrim versus the world should have gotten like at least a five-part miniseries but that's oh, that, does, that would have been yeah it's a different that, conversation for a different day that movie was too short <laughs> anybody any last words on the great Gatsby. Well, I think there's one thing that I wanted to say earlier, but uh, couldn't squeeze it in. And it goes to the end of the book anyway, is when Mr. Gats shows up. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. For the Love funeral. And uh, you you alluded to it earlier when uh, you talked about, well, this is the life. You chose this shit. You don't get to complain about what you chose. Uh, so writing that line is funny for Nick and he gets it that affirmation almost right at the end when he asks Mr. Gatz if he'd like to fly the body back west or take the body back west, I believe is how they put yeah. it. And he said, no, 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 no. He, he liked it better here. Right. Uh, he chose this shit. So he gets to stay with this shit. And I which think was that's both, I thought respectful yeah. and a bit of a commentary by the father who both loved and was very proud of his success, but also perhaps did not prove of many things in his life. You know, know, I can't bring him home now because there's, even if I wanted to, which I don't, he belongs here. That's how it felt to me. Mm -hmm. I liked that a lot. I thought, I thought his character was really interesting. Um, Yeah. Quick look, but you really come out with a lot of empathy and, uh, but also like you, I feel like you really relate to his character as briefly as you get it. The way that F. Scott is able to develop characters, sometimes without even using dialogue or develop a really complex character with just like five or six lines of dialogue is super impressive. Honestly. Right? Totally. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yes. Like that guy who's only in a couple of pages, but he's, He's kind of the mob connect to first, the first thing he did. Meyer, Meyer Wolfsheim, baby. Wolfsheim. I can't like, believe we he, didn't talk he, about Wolfsheim. Oh That's my the, gosh, which is, a, it's got to be Meyer Lansky. Auntie. That has to be Meyer Lansky. Yeah. 
Well, and also we can talk about anti-Semitism and the Great Gatsby, which is a whole other, I could do another 15 minutes. Oh my God, they start, they start with that, that document that has been coming up in the news that like colored people are taking over the world. Yeah. Oh, right. There's a lot of. They start with that. That's one of, that's one of Tom's first things he says. It's like. Mm -hmm. Whoa, okay. Well, this is how this guy's walking yeah. into the room. Right. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. But yeah, that exactly what you said. Like a character is built so fully in just very few details. He writes in accents too, which I think is super interesting for the time. Like he's straight up just changing the actual phonetic like words that Wolfshine is saying to say like Oxford with two G's and all this stuff instead of yeah. Oxford. I think that that's a very fun way of building. Oh, I had forgotten that nuance because I listened to the yeah. audiobook. Oh, yeah. No, the way they pronounce you know, it. Now I understand why Sean Astin was kind of putting on exactly. a bit of an yeah. accent. There's actually so many times. I, I first was like, yeah. are we doing that still, Sean? Uh, so now I'm glad that you. Yeah. That it's actually spelled differently. Phonetically does that. You, you mm -hmm. can't help but put it in there. Yeah. It's a beautiful just piece of rose like I just this was a really enjoyable read like I'm really happy that I found like I had this copy this like really old copy <laughs> I'm glad yeah. I could harangue everybody into reading it again so, oh yeah it's one of the greats yeah, it, was a, it was a treat really uh just I, I listened it was hard kind of because I was working the whole time I was listening over a couple of days but uh even in those conditions I absorbed clearly uh, quite a bit of it uh, after having been away from it forever to again to the point where it was basically fresh to me again yes yes it, it's such a picture is painted so um the great gatsby staying power the everything's still relevant the story's still relevant um the story is hella relevant hella a little relevant. too relevant for me could not be like more relevant nothing yeah, ain't yeah. shit changed but the date basically and it's yeah. kind of especially shitty. especially the idea that, that in the great Gatsby, they were like, there's the jazz age was staring down like some of the worst times in human history. Yeah. And they didn't quite realize they were doing that. And uh, I don't know, now that the stock market's kind of settled down a little bit, it feels a little bit less like Gatsby times, but for a couple right. months there, I was like, ooh. -wee. <laughs> sure, sure. It's like, oh, you know what? They were probably- Infinite money machine. Because they felt just like us. It was yeah, about a hundred years ago, right? Yeah. 1922, yep. it was about a hundred years ago. And they felt, just a little unsettled about things just yeah. like we do they now. just keep the going on forever <laughs> and a world flu. war which and you know we don't war. have one of those yet but we got one going so over there in europe pretty relatable, good relatable and mm. there's still a bunch of crazy wealth division and there's still a bunch of rich people acting a fool on long island <laughs> there's significantly more social mobility in the great gatsby than there is in contemporary american life i will say that oh, which is yeah. something that's super interesting to think about gatsby is able to come from like do, being a dude in like lake superior like where i'm at right now just walking around going to fishing villages and yep. become like this millionaire new money icon right i gotta start well, dealing drugs if i want to do that yeah, do that. yeah. Well, also although that's essentially what he's doing <laughs> This was still the tail end of the time where you could move five miles away and become a completely new person and no one would know. Right. So, nobody, you know. Googled, nobody Googled him. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, this conversation is being recorded by other entities. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh -huh. Well, thanks so much, you guys. Um, yeah, that was great for having me. 
so much for being the world's best resource on the Great Gatsby and sharing your wisdom. <laughs> Moon, thanks for the connects. Of course. Thank, I'm so happy. Thank you for having me. Yes, you're welcome. Paul, but here has his own podcast called Diamond Diamond Dustups, hosted by Paul Gordon and Travis Doyle online. It's a podcast about baseball altercations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So look that one up. Like, and go go on Apple and uh, review it and and rate it and and subscribe and stuff. That would be really dope of you. I would really appreciate it. Whoever the you is I'm speaking to right now that is moved by those (laughs) those commands or requests. And we're, we're, we are recording this the day before Memorial Day holiday tomorrow, Monday. So I'm going to just say happy summer to everyone. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.